This presentation is from Design Research 2020, Day 2. We're up to our, our last presentation of the afternoon. Um, Ash and Simon are going to share with us a case study uh, for some research they needed to undertake to help a company that had grand plans for how they might go about owning a billion dollar industry. So here they are. There We're they together. are. <laughs> Hello. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I will, I will throw to you if you want to uh, load up your slides and I'll, I'll confirm that we can see it all. Thank you both all right. for, um, for being here and for helping us close out the, uh, the two days. All right. Thank you. Our pleasure. Now, can you see it? I can it's all good? I can see everything. Lovely. And you can hear us? Absolutely. <laughs> Over to you. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for having us, Steve. We're delighted to be given the stage today to tell you what we hope is going to be an extremely good news story for you all, a story that should hearten those of you that are committed to holding the line when it comes to delivering high-quality research. So it's also a story that should convince you that our clients, there are clients that still value quality in-depth research. So to be honest, it's been an interesting 12 months or so, 18 months for us. So over the years, we've had our fair share of pretty exciting projects. But over the last year or so, we've seen some changes in the design consulting landscape. So whilst we've still picked up some exciting briefs, uh, both ends of the spectrum have been constricting. So from the requirement to, for specialists to augment in-house teams and partnership, uh, to the large end-to-end -end strategic design engagements. They've been fewer and farther between. Now, Ash and I put this down in part to the commoditization of design research, popularizing basic research methods that Lisa was talking about that on day one, without the necessary emphasis on establishing fundamental knowledge or building a repertoire of techniques. Uh, we've seen some of the core principles of our profession eroded at times due to commercial ambitions. Um, and practitioners are even at times reducing or even skipping analysis or synthesis entirely to meet budgets or time constraints. So it was amazing when one Saturday morning last August, uh, I received a phone call from America completely out of the blue. So I resisted my instinctive urge to decline strange numbers from overseas and answer the call. And I'm so glad I did. The voice at the other end of the line was vaguely familiar. Uh, and she said, Simon, hi, Simon, it's Joe. Do you remember me? I need your help to design a market-leading value proposition to own a $6.4 billion industry. And can you start next week? Oh, and what do you know about tattoos? Which is very little. Was very little. So last time um, I'd actually spoken with Joe was when she was working at Bupa Health. So they just bought uh, Dental Corp and a 200 clinics, dental clinics. Bupa wanted us to figure out what the special source was. What was an exceptional dental experience? What did that look like so that they could scale it across Australia and New Zealand? So we conducted, designed and conducted uh, consumer research as well as in-clinic research, uh, observing and interviewing patients, dentists, assistants, practitioners, managers, principals, and reception staff. 
So we're able to codify best practice distilling this into experience principles and protocols so that we could share knowledge uh, and best practice across the group quickly. Now, shortly after this, Joe was headhunted, unknown to us, by a venture capital firm, Norman B Capital, the company that built and then subsequently sold the Dental Corp to Bupa. So they, they've got a fairly interesting business model. Um, their opportunities are identified through desk research predominantly, sort of making sense of mega trends and commercial modeling. And then they build new ventures through acquisition and take an active management role. So they actually get boots on the ground in order to optimize these businesses and then scale them. So the VC's latest venture, uh, Tattoo Removal Partners or TRP, as we fondly refer to them these days, was a play to dominate a fast growing yet immature sector, laser tattoo removal. So they identified a market opportunity of um, 6.4 billion US dollars across North America alone. So we, we didn't know then, but 30% of Americans have at least one tattoo. Uh, the VCs raised capital and then bought a controlling interest of three of the largest and best regarded companies with a combined footprint of 24 clinics across the states. So their audacious plan was to merge these clinics, define and then align best practice, and then scale rapidly to 200 clinics within a year. So Joe quickly recognized that they could create much more value uh, and reduce the risk considerably associated with such rapid scale and growth by starting with the type of research and design that we've done together back at Bupa. So to achieve their ambitious goal, TRP knew that they needed to understand the domain better than anybody else. So this was serious stuff. So they sought out a partner that they, they knew and could trust, a partner with an uncompromising approach to their practice. And thankfully they chose us. Joe also knew this was more than just an operational transformation. She understood that to be successful, they needed a partner that could connect in a very personal way with the, pers the purpose-driven culture that underpins the tattoo removal industry. They also needed a partner to tap into latent and unmet needs of customers and build deep empathy between the business stakeholders, the investors, and the customers. And these customers are often largely unaware of emerging tattoo removal techniques or feel too ashamed to even ask for help. It's a sensitive area. The only catch, as usual, was to convince the CEO, based in the States, uh, and the investors of the value of our approach. So as, you, as many of you will know, Selling, selling the value of research is uh, at times tough, but to hard-nosed, fast-moving VCs, uh, we thought this, is, this would be next to impossible. In this case, we had one big thing going for us in that Mark and Chris, the VC founders, had experienced some of our work at least firsthand and had a sense of what strategic design engagement looked like. So we reminded them of the comprehensive nature of the outputs typically driving initiatives across people, environment, artifacts, and processes for many years. So to make this more salient, we presented these as likely tactical initiatives, thinking to the point that we would be stepping away, and then mapping these to the issues raised in the briefing from Mike, the CEO. So the kind of things they were grappling with was, what should our built environment look like? Should it be a clinic? Should it be a re retail context? Um, what should, the mobile, what should be the role of the mobile units? What should the 
client service experience. They wanted, they were worried about sales and marketing and conversion funnels, particularly how do people um, become aware, consider, and then make a decision to have a, what is quite a nasty and painful uh, experience. Uh, they wanted us, they, they needed to develop a operational handbook and a culture. So focus on people, process, and practice. Digital tools were a massive um, component of the brief, um, apps and a website. And then they needed a strategy. They wanted a customer-centered strategy uh, and a product and service evolution and frameworks to measure progress from the current state. So they weighed us up against the alternative, which were at the time focus group and survey-oriented proposals on the table. And thankfully they took the plunge. So for us, this was one of the most exciting challenges of our career. Uh, it ticked pretty much all the boxes. So the ambition was massive and complex. To take the existing net network of 24 sites in a mobile van, uh, then define and design the best possible service for investors, staff, and customers, and then scale it over 100 clinics, as I said, in a year. It was also at the intersection of health services and innovation, two big ticks, and it looked like the perfect fit with our purpose and values. And best of all, it involved one almighty road trip across the States. Well, I was pretty much a pig in mud. Um, all we had to do now was understand the category better than anybody else, and then design a value proposition to own it. What could be easier? So as design researchers, you know, we used to constantly face the challenge of numbers. Um, what Lisa described as the fourth dysfunction, the, the quantitative fallacy. Clients were used to market research. They've been trained to think that larger numbers always meant better quality and loved using terms like statistical significance. So when we proposed contextual in-depth research, they, they often wanted focus groups just to beef up the numbers. Um, we got used to answering those types of challenges before they arose. We, we educated our clients on the importance of doing qualitative research to, to understand the cause, the, the what and the why, not just relying on quantitative for the effect, the, the when and how much. Um, we, we always had to go into explaining the difference between exploratory and explanatory approaches, assuring them that, yes, we'll conduct that quantitative once we understand what we need to size. Well, these days, there's another hurdle that we have to deal with. The new phrase everyone uses is that research and design have been democratized. Well, that's just a nice way to spin that it's been commodified. Uh, people are moving sideways in companies and there's a glut of graduates from two, two or three month part-time courses entering the market as designers and researchers. Right place and many have invested heavily to make a career shift many of them will make good researchers uh, later. They graduate only equipped with a limited set of tools and almost no theoretical understanding of research. Of course, being passionate and inexperienced means they both spend less time on research and, and uh, often almost no time in analysis and synthesis, and they come at a much lower hourly rate. This sets a significantly lower price anchor for, for clients wanting to understand their, their customers, and it drives that perceived cost of research down. Now, both market research and the new wave of career switching grads achieve suboptimal outcomes for, for design research, especially something of, of this, this size. But the, the danger is what they do sounds and looks to clients like design research but delivers at best surface 
insights and at worst, wrong directions. Now this job was a case in point. Um, this was a big one. In order for our clients to actually own the category of tattoo removal, we had to help them understand the industry better than anyone else. Uh, it's the best protect protection you can have uh, as an early mover. Like Simon, I was uh, a pig in mud also. This, this type of work harks back to my days of human factors. To situate design, you must understand the ecosystem. Speaking to, to Lisa's uh, second dysfunction of, of silos, you need to understand the needs, constraints, and capabilities of everyone and everything within the system, not just the customers. Um, and the context isn't just at this point in time. For, for a big strategic job, you also need to understand where it came from and where it's likely to go. So we mapped a, a pretty comprehensive approach. First, we needed to discover and agree on the ambition of the stakeholders, including the venture capital firm who were our clients uh, and the leaders of the three companies that they'd bought into because these people would be bringing everyone together uh, on this. Then we were going to have to go into the field. Now, for consumers, we wanted to conduct in-depth interviews in three very different cities looking for cultural differences. Uh, and in the clinics, we would observe the operations across the, the different types of built environments. Uh, um, they had standalone retail located within physician suites, located within commercial suites, um, and mobile clinics. So we wanted to observe things like accessibility, uh, their use of space, um, and the types of interactions, that they, the client interactions they, they had, the consultations, the treatments, the payments, and all the operational things in the back end. We'd also interview staff and clients uh, in interrupt interviews to understand their culture, their motivations, the, the circumstances that brought them there and the barriers that they faced. Um, an area there was very little visibility about uh, was the, the level of awareness that tattoo artists had and how they felt about tattoo removal. So we also proposed visits to a sample of studios. Now, before we went into the field, however, we needed to understand the landscape and temporal context. Understanding why people wanted to get tattoos removed was, uh, of course, critical. Um, but to understand it properly, and because this was a strategic project, we had to reach back a lot further. We had to understand the reasons that people got tattooed in the first place and why they tattooed others as well. Um, and this we needed to look at throughout history, the significance, the rituals, the reasons, the branches and evolution of the art, the, the development of inks and, and ways in which it's applied, you know, the, the trends over time. We needed to understand uh, the more recent context too, uh, what, what the trends now are in tattooing. Um, and the spectrum of uh, people to get a test. Uh, so for us to forecast where things are likely to go, we first have to look at that history and analyze it. Because funnily enough, history tends to repeat itself in cycles. Um, then we matched it to, to the existing emer uh, emerging technologies so we could do that future casting. Now, if you want your research to be put to use, there's two essential things that need to happen. First, all the stakeholders have to, have to agree on what they want to know. And that's a, a really critical thing at the beginning of a, of, of a project. Uh, and secondly, they then have to be kept engaged and excited throughout the research. Now, start of any project, we always run a kickoff workshop. Uh, we do that to elicit goals, discuss the target audience, uh, define a project mission, 
scope the plan, key dates, agree ways of working and dive into possible, uh, possible risks and, and constraints. This just gets everyone on exactly what we're doing and we know we've got a North Star that we're heading towards. Now, <clears throat> since this was a range of different companies um, that were in different cultures being pulled together, we also delved deep, not just with the companies, but with the investors and VCs. We then ran workshops with the leaders of, of each organization um, that was acquired to learn a bit more about their operation. Um, also to discuss how we would conduct research with their clinics and address any concerns they had. And of course, their concerns were many. We had huge lists of questions to address. Um, and that's because the leaders had a lot of skin in the game. They needed to feel confident in our approach. So um, at the outset, we, we also proposed dual design walls. Uh, we were going to be working uh, in two locations doing the, the whole remote thing that we're doing these days. Uh, so we wanted to set up a design all our clients offices in Austin and another back here in, in Manly in our offices. It sounded so easy at the time. It did. <laughs> <laughs> all artifacts were, were going to be created digitally and we just print them and put them uh, in both sides. Uh, we also proposed having daily summaries whilst we were in the field. Now the purpose of this was twofold. First, we needed to create that operational rhythm for us to reflect on each day's research, summarise our findings, um, uh, and just kind of bed it all down as the, the interviews then got transcripted for, for back in Manly to, to look at. Um, and secondly, we wanted to keep the stakeholders engaged and excited by the research through doing rich storytelling. And that end of day really helped with that. We, we were able to take them along for a journey and help them understand the value of capturing those detailed stories, not just a summary at the end. Now, since this was an ambitious project and there can be some cultural variations across different states in the US, we, we took an extreme sampling approach. Um, for consumers, we proposed conducting depth interviews in Austin where um, tattoos are a cultural moment. It was, it was actually described that uh, you had worse job prospects if you didn't have tattoos uh, in, in Austin. Kansas City was the polar opposite to that. Tattoos are pretty much frowned upon. And New York, um, it, it had this spectrum of acceptability. Uh, we also wanted to um, speak with a, a mix of those uh, with unwanted tattoos, both who were considering removal, so the, the current custom, type of customers that they had, and the, those who weren't considering removal. They wanted to get rid of a tattoo, but for, for some reason didn't, uh, didn't go down that path. So these were their unknown consumers. Um, through discussions and, and as the, the project progressed, we, we quickly grew to add LA as a location because um, Nobody was servicing the West Coast, uh, which we found out early in early research, and we didn't know why. So our approach to clinics was similar, um, seeking both high and low performing clinics. So we wanted each company to, to give us their best and worst clinic um, across the country um, from each of those three companies, uh, as well as, as I said before, investigating that variety of contexts from co-location on physician premises right through to, to mobile units. They really yeah. didn't sit very well as bedfellows, did no, they? No, they yeah. didn't. They didn't. I, I should reiterate here that, as, as Simon alluded to, um, that in the kickoff and mobilization, we, we discovered that the companies that they'd acquired were very different in their origins, strengths, and, and cultures. 
Um, one was based on a very corporate model, uh, you know, MIT folks and whatnot. Um, and it was about emphasizing marketing uh, and sales and co-locating in, in medical offices with dermatologists and plastic surgeons. You can imagine someone heavily tattooed walking into a place with people with uh, big puffy lips and, and fillers and Botox. Um, another was created by a couple who were experts in efficiency, so we found out. Uh, they saw an opportunity in the market. They bought a laser, learned the ropes, uh, what worked and what didn't. Then they just codified this and did a, uh, a McDonald's of it. Um, they codified what they learned and scaled with a standardized setup and approach uh, across all clinics. And um, these clinics were located in uh, what, what's known as class B commercial suites. The third was a lovely little family business that evolved with deep ties in the artist community. We loved them. Yeah. <laughs> well, we loved all of we them. We loved all of them. But uh, yeah, everyone was special. They, these guys had tried a, a mix of settings, um, but were mostly retail. Uh, they, they had some interesting things like a high-rise office to service the heart of Manhattan and, uh, as we mentioned before, the mobile van, which went out to... So throughout the research, um, each of the companies, of course, wanted us to visit more and more of their clinics. Uh, unfortunately, scope did not uh, allow us to do that, but we did add a, a couple of interesting places like Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, and Denver, Colorado, uh, people, uh, places that were, were currently in, in, in a bit of flux. During the project, uh, of course, a fourth company was acquired, a small operation in Toronto, Canada, so we had to also arrange to go up and, and visit there. Um, now, these guys were also very ambitious with where they wanted, wanted us to cover mobile operations. They, they saw it could be um, uh, an interesting new, new area to, to develop. Uh, and we were really developed in, uh, we, we were really interested in this too, because it would give us more access to artists. And it's also a novel approach to, to clinical treatment. Um, but unfortunately, we, we had to constrain the scope to, to fit our timeline. Um, instead, what did a little bit of that, but to get broader access to artists uh, and complete our research picture, we, we instead opted to visit a tattoo convention in, um, in Wildwood, uh, New Jersey. Now came the fun part. How do we organise research in the States when we're over here? Fun being heard for <laughs> scary. Uh, yeah, so we shit ourselves a bit. Uh, but for, for the consumer depth interviews, you know, we were going to need really solid recruitment. Uh, we needed reliable research facilities and, and uh, internet connections and whatnot, uh, and decent catering to run what was going, what was scheduled to be really back-to-back -back sessions. Now, whenever you're doing international research, as many of you know, it's always good to have a fixture on the ground, someone that can navigate the local culture, processes, and customs, even in America. Um, they're there to iron out any problems that may arise, and they always do because they're on the ground. Uh, um, we, uh, we knew where we were planning our consumer research, so now I had to find some reliable people in each of those places. The first place I went to was LinkedIn, and I searched my network for friends and colleagues in each location, and I was amazed. I had no idea that I'd dig up good friends in each place. Uh, my mm. advisor from uni had moved to Kansas City the year before, and she's a, a star in human factors. Uh, a well-respected colleague that I've known for years now was based in Austin, uh, and I had an amazing list of people to call on in New York and LA. Um, but the surprising thing was, even though I hadn't stayed, uh, 
had great connections uh, over time with them. You know, having kids settles all that down for you and you, you lose a, a lot of the friendships or, or they, they uh, don't get maintained as much. All of these people bent over backwards for me. They were eagerly handing over their most trusted recruiters, favorite rooms, hints on catering, and we got lots of invites out to beer, which was great. Um, in the end, however, we only needed one great recruiter. My friend in Austin had an amazing contact. She acted as our fixer, handling recruitment, facilities, incentives, catering, troubleshooting right across the country. It's, it is the best experience we've ever had with a recruitment service. So, um, as I said, I, I was amazed that I had a, a, a choice of friends. And, and on further reflection, I, I saw that I had this network in almost any city in the States. Um, and the interesting thing is many of these people I'd met at a meetup or conference, uh, like, like the US Australia conferences. Or kind of like this. <laughs> it's a little harder. <laughs> kind of like this. <laughs> uh, so our first tip is this. Your connections are important. Take the opportunity at every event to make friends. Um, now, this is a warm and inclusive community, not, not just in Australia, but right across the world. As researchers, we, we tend to be curious, purpose-driven and empathetic. So we leap at the opportunity to help friends. We're, we're working toward a common goal. And this isn't just the researchers. This also extends to clients. Uh, the, these are people in positions to champion an evidence-based approach. Um, I, I mean, over the years, all, all our most interesting briefs have been co-created uh, with, with uh, people on the inside, including this one from Joe. Um, so another thing is attend conferences and meetups. Take the time to use your research skills, engage with others, listen actively, get to know your peers and form long-lasting bonds. I know it might be a bit harder to do, do that virtually, but this will pass. Um, you're likely to bump into any of these people uh, at other industry events. Um, as your career progresses, you'll see them more and more. Remember, whoever is virtually sitting next to you right now, no matter how young or inexperienced, they're going to be in a senior or executive position in years to come. Um, they have their own network now and it will grow and they have their own spheres of influence. And because they're researchers, they're likely to be really nice people too. Um, another thing that, that I encourage is for people to speak at conferences and meetups. Uh, for, for me, it, it's given me greater access to the other speakers who are often from around the world. And no matter what stage you are in your career, seek out mentors. Um, they help you learn and grow, as well as having their own connections, resources and insights that you can draw upon uh, for those ambitious projects like this. Mm. So I think you're probably familiar with this, but research risks being rejected outright or simply sitting on the shelf gathering dust if you don't bring the client along the journey. So they need to be able to trust us and not only see the results, but the workings in the margin. And it doesn't stop there when the project is likely to involve massive change. So we need to bring everybody along for this journey from the ground up. So our second tip is design your research to drive the change. Uh, it's both in the way we engage, so that's both formally and informally, and we'll talk a bit about that later, and the form that this takes. So if I can touch on form first, you probably noted the edgy graphic style in some of our slides and the use of tattoo culture references and motifs, no accident. 
So visual communication, we feel is vital to reducing barriers and quickly establishing rapport. So right from the start on this project, we established a, a project visual vocabulary or project style. So one which deliberately drew heavily on tattoo traditions. So Al, Daz and Braddon even went as far as creating a project logo, which really became the company logo. Um, we applied all of this um, to everything from presentation decks, facilitation materials, and of course the project wall. And the engagement style too is super important. In addition to the form factor, we took every opportunity to break down barriers with leadership, stakeholders, and staff. So this project was going to, was going to affect everybody. So as researchers, we had to understand the motivations, concerns of all involved. So it also helped us to get people to speak openly and honestly to us and without fear. These things are often imbued with a lot of fear, anything that involves change. So when Bell, Daz and Ash landed in Austin for the first research sprint, they were absolutely exhausted. It's a long flight, a couple of a connection, LA and then through. But they insisted on going straight into the office to meet everybody and start putting up the design wall there and then. So that evening, they were invited after a whole day having flown across the world with the venture partner team to get to know them in, more, in a more comfortable setting. So as leaders of our company, Bell, Ash and I uh, spent a lot of time, considerable time having one-on-one -on -one conversations over dinners and often over late night drinks with the leadership of all of the, all of the companies and uh, investors. Um, so you'd be surprised what we learned in those, in those contexts and it helped us with the research. The tattoo industry is of course, as you'd imagine, very closed. Outsiders are often labeled as narcs um, and treated, not specifically me, <laughs> with hats. <laughs> and treated suspiciously until they prove themselves. So relationships are closely guarded. So we invited Joe, our client, who built a bit of rapport, and Carmen, the leader of one of the companies and owner of most of the relationships with the tattoo community on the research uh, we did in New York with the artists. So specifically to give us a warm introduction from a trusted source so they could talk freely, uh, prove we were trustworthy to them so that we wouldn't say anything stupid or ruin relationships. So they would open up connections and their, their, their um, contacts directories. And also to demonstrate to uh, the stakeholders um, what we do in the field, the authenticity of that. So diversity was also important for us. So we also set up our team to ensure we reduced barriers where we could. So between Bell, uh, Ash, Liv, Des and I, uh, we covered quite a lot of bases. Um, Age-wise, we our ages range between 21 and 56. Uh, we're all active on the research project. We have gender diversity and cultural diversity, both in terms of ethnicity and we're studying. Some of dads have got some beautiful tattoos. He does. Liz does, <laughs> does too. Um, so there's no such thing as a perfect research project. Uh, there's always going to be something that happens that, um, you know, so, something that doesn't happen as planned or even a, a juicy opportunity that, uh, for more insight that pops up and no, no scope to account for it. Uh, so our third tip is just to have the confidence to adapt to the situation. The more prepared you are, uh, the easier you can adapt. No matter how well you plan though, 
there's always going to be a spanner thrown in the works, something you just can't account for. And now when we heard about that tattoo convention in Wildwood, New Jersey, uh, we ended up just cutting short our research in Boston. We, we'd seen quite a bit uh, of clinics there and, and we headed down. We had a contact that thought uh, we, we thought would be able to introduce us to some of the artists. We were a bit wrong um, because we didn't have the, the planning or, or prep time. We, we didn't have, uh, we, we also didn't have any idea how busy the artists would be when we got there. Um, now, before we got there, Daz was actually keen to get a tattoo. While we were there, Olivia decided she wanted to get a tattoo. So these guys slipped into action research mode. Uh, they grabbed a slot with an artist to get a tattoo. Now this was great because not only did that give them access to their tattoo artist, but then walking around the convention with fresh ink gave them more license to, to speak with, with other artists, even while they worked. Not wanting a tattoo myself, I instead opted to buy printed art from some of the artists. <laughs> So this gave me a good 15 minutes with each to, to chat about their art, um, but more particularly uh, about cover-ups and, and then their attitudes toward tattoo removal. And it revealed some really interesting insights for us. Um, one, one of the clinics that the team turn, uh, turned up to was staged. Uh, when they arrived, it was obvious that these guys had cleared their books for the day, uh, brought in their favorite Coached them on what to say and gave them some merch and, and some Americans gifts. are good at it. Yes. Uh, now this was interesting from a cultural perspective, no, noting the pressure that they were obviously under from above. Um, but for customer insight, it, it wasn't what what we needed. Um, and unfortunately, the team had just flown right across the country and had a whole day scheduled on the ground. Uh, in the end, we took note of the cultural insights, but didn't even bother transcribing the 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 um, uh, research because we knew it would just pollute the data. So uh, it was painful, but we cut that. Um, and we had a great opportunity to go with the mobile unit out to tattoo shops uh, in, in more rural and remote regions, which of course we jumped at. Um, the van uh, unfortunately carried two technicians and a Q-switch laser. Uh, as we made arrangements, they told us that the third person in the van usually went on, on the, the, the lounge they used for treatment uh, and it had no seat belt. Um, when we said that Daz was probably going along, they joked that he could use a pool noodle if he was worried. Hell, if it's good enough for their quarter of a million dollar laser, it would be good enough for Daz. Uh, of course, I had to politely decline and said we'd arrange something else. Um, uh, so in the end, uh, we arranged for both uh, uh, Liv and Daz to, to get to Wilkes Bar. Um, to meet the van uh, and then they had to, to take the time to get to know the mobile team because um, these guys were going to have to trust them with their tattoo artist relationship. As Simon said, these things are closely guarded. Mm -hmm. And then they followed the van from location to location, conducting research both in the van, uh, watching uh, clients, uh, and then uh, in the tattoo studios with, with that opportunity to chat to more artists. Okay, so as Ash mentioned before, so the VCs, or I mentioned, VCs knew that for this venture to succeed, they needed to merge three quite distinct cultures. So whilst the team was on the road, Val and I worked feverishly in the background with Joe, devising ways to drive connection between the three very different cultures in the newly formed TRP group. So this culminated with an invitation, it was fantastic, to come to Manhattan, to facilitate a workshop bringing together two of the three companies. So our aim was to create a safe and creative context, which gave the staff and leadership a chance to 
think about the possibilities of moving from a small company um, to joining forces with and learning from other companies to become an industry leader. So again, we use the tattoo-inspired illustrations and voyage of discovery metaphor to explore this notion of change. So the trade wins exercise explored the value that each of the partner organizations could bring to the quest. Uh, the treasure exercise explored the unique value that each company could offer the group. Uh, the ship uh, exercise explored the value that each company hoped to unlock through the new partnership. And we had a couple of other exercises too, looking at thorns and roses, classic motifs to explore benefits and potential problems. Uh, now, this workshop uh, in New York was face-to-face. -face. We were able to get all the people from, from one of the companies to go and one person from, from another company. Um, and it went so well that our client wanted us to run the, the same workshop with the other companies. But the timing wasn't great. Uh, the only time we could get those companies was on the same day, uh, a day that we were actually in San Antonio doing clinic research. Um, and these companies were spread right across the mm. US. So again, a uh, bit of remote stuff. Uh, we had to quickly devise a way to run, run these workshops remotely. Um, we ended up using Mural uh, to remotely run identical exercises on two boards at the same time, uh, two, two different companies. And this is kind of what it looked like. Uh, I presented and facilitated from tiny staff room uh, in the clinic, uh, which was just enough room for my laptop and tablet to, to run the two companies. Uh, while Daz and Olivia were um, uh, in the, the waiting room of the clinic uh, and they were both doing real-time affinity on the post notes for one company each. Um, uh, and meanwhile, the, the two staff that, that were actually in the clinic had, had made, made a bit of space. Uh, they were in the treatment room and they were participating in one of the workshops. Now, these workshops ended up being a roaring success thing. God, uh, they helped the, the staff across all the companies consider their own company strengths, um, what they were lacking as a company. So they, they were coming to, to these thoughts themselves and how joining forces with others might help them be better together. So prior to this, they had thought of, of the other companies as the other, and now they're looking at the benefits of, of getting them along. They all had something to offer. They did, they, they, they all were very complimentary. Now, I, I don't think there's a project that I've done where the client hasn't pushed back and we, we've had to walk, uh, work to shorter timelines than would be optimal. I, I think all of you in, in the, the virtual room here uh, would know that feeling. But as researchers and designers, we can always work within our constraints and get the best outcomes with what we have available. Our fourth tip for this is to develop a good research rhythm. Rapid research can be really high quality as long as you have what Michelle Berryman likes to call the right cadence. Field research can be exhausting. Doing research in different contexts with different protocols, having to respond to findings, drive long distances, fly and find new accommodation every other night, um, that, that can be crippling. So this is where we had a few uh, early on. I think it's particularly true of long-term projects, so 14 weeks or so on the road. So principle number one is know at the start, know each other's non-negotiables. So these are things they can't compromise on in order to stay sane. So when we run field research, we always have two people in the field. So this is for safety, efficacy, and sanity. So if your research partner knows that thing you can't compromise to stay insane, 
they can always jump in and support you before you burn out. Tip two is when possible, do research early in the day. Uh, for both stakeholder engagement and team con consolidation, we, as we said, we, we committed to doing a research summary every day. That's hard after a long day of research. Uh, the research had to be finished early enough to have good discussions, write up notes, do all the required admin with files and prep for the next day and or travel to the next location. I think point three is assigning roles and knowing your roles. So there's the annoying stuff in field research from gathering, naming and uploading photos and recordings to organizing transport and confirming uh, accommodation, even finding rooms for playback. So being organized and having clear roles allows the team to enter research, knowing what tasks would be covered and by whom. The fourth point is, but uh, keep it interesting and know your research partner well. If you know your research partner well, <coughs> things are going to work out. A person who would be best suited to facilitate uh, the sessions was often determined after introduction were made to work with the participant. This was then communicated with a raised eyebrow or nod. Uh, sometimes the decision would just go on, you know, uh, who, who would lead the session based on gender. Other times it was another point of common ground that would allow the researchers to achieve quicker rapport for sensitive topics. And this could switch after a, a, a quick introduction and, um, uh, and people uh, started to gel. Fifth point is um, building in buffer, if you can at all, at the planning stage. So it will almost always be squeezed as you respond to what you're learning. The scope often grows and new opportunities arrive. So it's as much as building in buff buffers and learning the nego negotiating skills to ensure you get the right result. Yeah, and, and you can hide that buffer as well. Uh, point six is be prepared to say no if it doesn't add enough value. Uh, related to the prior principle, clients can get excited and want you to squeeze in more than is possible. Now. Our clients wanted us to do so much more in the mobile league and we were, we were excited by it. Um, they wanted us to do so much, however, it wasn't humanly possible to be in all the locations they wanted. Uh, so we took a step back and, and looked at that component as part of the overall research and decided we had to de-scope uh, much of, of what they had an ambition. So the last one is very, it's a principle that I hold quite close to my heart and that's that all serious things should be done with a sense of play. So it's one of our values here at Tobias actually and we took every opportunity on this project to enjoy our downtime, both for exploring these new cities and for self-care. Self so we did all sorts of things, including the, the usual sightseeing, uh, lives a great dancer, so experience some of the great techs and dance halls. Uh, we went out to hear some great music wherever we could Awesome and we even did an awesome jazz and blues and even did a research playback from uh, the Manhattan, which is an incredible cocktail bar, 60 stories above the Manhattan skyline. And the staff went out of their way to create a little quiet area for us to report back to the group. You can see that on the slide at the moment. So you need to make time to decompress when you're on the road or in any research situation if you want to be able to maintain a high level of quality across an intense project. Now, of course, the, the pace was still hectic. But we all had a fantastic experience. We learned a tremendous amount and unearthed massive value for our clients along the way. Um, and being a team that was split across Australia and the US also meant that while our field researchers in the US slept, back home could be doing analysis. So, so we were getting um, two to one on, on the analysis, closer to three to one, uh, which, which is great. 
this 24 hour cycle was not only great for research, but also for the workshops we had to run to play back the research and, and turn those insights into, into action. Perfect segue. Okay, so after 13 or so weeks on the road, we felt we were in a really strong position to facilitate co-design of a value proposition, and then to map this, uh, this to uh, a roadmap to drive the insight into action. So we conducted firsthand research with clients and clinics, and we'd learned from an artist, and we'd learned from about 300, well, exactly 337 people <laughs> formally across the range of different cohorts. But we knew that we had to connect the stakeholders to this insight that we'd uncovered if we we're going to be successful. So again, thanks to the brilliant Joe and her amazing leadership and people skills, we were able to achieve something that I've really been able to and bring together all the stakeholders in Austin, Texas for five back-to-back -back full days where we, start, we started by soaking them in the research. We actually gave them reports to read on the plane in the case of the investors. Almost everyone has to fly in. <laughs> we knew that to be successful, we'd need to build deep connection between the investors, the VCs and the four companies that had been acquired. There were four now. They acquired a Canadian flagship along the way. Uh, and the research, and we need to create that connection between the research and align them on a, really a common purpose. So we ramped up storytelling again, um, took it to the next level and visual communication to force these deep connections. And it worked an absolute treat. Together we managed to prioritize these on the basis of all the opportunity areas, I should say, on the basis of urgency, value, and effort. Uh, and this informed a strategy which balanced long-term vision with short-term momentum. So we, we ended up defining a four-year program of work together to ensure that we could capture the lion's share of this rapidly growing market. Now, quality research is the foundation for value that is realized and released over many, many years. So it has a long shelf life, particularly for complex programs. So often it serves as a, I think Ash used the term North Star, um, a, a vision of where we want to be. So we heard at the beginning of this year, in fact, that some of um, the key recommendations we'd made for Bupa three or four years back had finally been implemented and that the Greenfield sites in their dental business are now outlawing the star practices that, that we analyzed way back, back in the day. So we also got an email recently thanking us for research at QSIPA. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was from someone that we didn't know before. Uh, it was completely out of the blue. We were told that the war room that we'd created there years ago had been sealed off and maintained as a briefing room for a variety of programs, ranging from brand and marketing initiatives uh, to, to more technical wealth platform improvements. Um, and most recently, uh, we had another exciting call. Uh, one of my heroes who leads up research at, at Microsoft um, had seen some of our work uh, and moved heaven and earth to get the opportunity to work with us. Uh, he said he didn't know that people uh, actually were able to do such in-depth work in a, in a commercial setting and he wanted to, to actually create a project uh, to, to get to work with us, which was yeah. fantastic. So certainly don't lose heart if it doesn't see the day initially no it takes time for both yeah. yeah within the span of of our project um, our clients have gone from four different propositions with very different cultures to a single company with clearly shared purpose and values uh, we're currently executing on their brand their fit out their customer experience protocols for treatment 
and, um, and a website. So they're moving fast. We'd be lucky with these guys. Now, raise your virtual hand. It was going to be your hand if you've heard of the heliotropic effect or principle. I um, don't know how you raise hands virtually. <laughs> anyway, it's a term used in biology, gardening, and um, leadership development circles. And its roots are in the ancient Greek word for sun, helios. Uh, the helio heliotropic principle notes that plants grow towards their source of light. So that's what's so special about sunflowers. They actually turn almost in real time. Their, their heads face the sun. They turn to the light and the warmth for growth. Now in the same way, people and organizations move towards what gives them light. They're drawn towards positive images of the future and positive actions based on affirming and energizing moments. So what's this got to do with design research? Well, I, we feel, Ash and I, that if you dig a bit into what it means to be heliotropic, you'll find that it means being authentic, compassionate, grateful and positive. It means following through on commitments and doing your very best and being honest with yourself. It's in these adjectives that we really see the power and the value of quality design research. We wish you well and many great projects. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, Simon. And a great message to end the conference on and end the day on. Thank you both.